Thank you for listening to the Convergence Podcast. Please enjoy this message by Canon Andrew White. I want to look at the issue of divine reversal. And I want to start by reading you a short passage from Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3. To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garments of praise instead of the spirit of despair. the very essence of what Isaiah's message was about. The messianic, hopeful message looking to the future was about our glory now that God wants to reveal. All of us have experienced a divine reversal. I want us to look at the book of Esther. I know that God isn't mentioned in the book of Esther, but he doesn't need to be because it's all about him. It's all about the divine presence. If it please the king, And if I have found favor in his sight, I be pleasing to his eyes. Let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the letters which were about killing all the Jews, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's provinces. And the king replies, seal the new letter with the king's ring, for the writing which is written in the king's name and seal with the king's ring may no man reverse. All of us have the need for the divine reversal. I can think in my own life about what I thought I wanted God to do, what I thought I wanted him to reveal. When I was little, my teacher said to me at school, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said two things. I want to be an anaesthetist, an anesthesiologist, and a priest. She said, you can't. I said, why not? She said, because you're a Pentecostal and they don't have priests. So I said, okay. So I just thought about the anesthesiology. 
And I knew I only wanted to go and train at one hospital in London, St. Thomas's Hospital, part of London University. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. I went for my interview, which went quite well. And I thought, surely they'll take me. And then I got a letter saying, we're very sorry. You're very good, but you're not good enough. <laughs> and you're not coming here. And I prayed and prayed and my headmaster at school said, I don't believe it. They must take you. I prayed and prayed and prayed. And sometimes when the answer is so negative and all appears no, we've still got to believe yes. If God has said yes, it's not no, it's yes. So a few days later, I got a letter saying, we're very sorry, Andrew, but we made a mistake. (laughs) The answer isn't no, it's yes. So I went and started my medical training. And I qualified, and I loved it, and I was rather good at what I did. In fact, I was so good, I thought God can't want to move me from here, because this is what I'm really meant for. And I remember standing in the garden opposite Big, Big Ben by the River Thames. And I said, thank you, Lord, for everything you've given me. Thank you for sending me to this hospital. Thank you for enabling me to raise the dead. I was quite good at that, running the cardiac arrest team. And the really good thing, the thing about cardiac arrest, they're not very well planned. (laughs) They just happen when they happen. So there I was, praising God for sending me there and for all he had given me. And then I remembered, I needed to say, what next, Lord? Because just being in the comfort of our comfort zone isn't where God always wants us to be. So I said, Lord, what next? Presuming he'd say, stay here. And you know what he said? I want you to be ordained in the Anglican Church. And I said, Lord, (laughs) do you know they're not all saved? (laughs) They're not all saved. And he said, yes, I know, that's why I'm sending you. (laughs) So that was how he got me into the other thing. 
So I really am a gas man. That's what you call an anaesthetist or anesthesiologist. But then I became a vicar, a clergyman. But now I've become a supernatural glory ministry man. And that is why I'm here. And that is why I've been in, where have I been, San Jose? California? That is why I've been here this month. And I have seen the glory like I've never seen. I've seen the glory up the mountains, up that refuge of hope. It's like going to heaven. It's like driving to heaven. But it's really, really uncomfortable getting there. <laughs> the thing is that when God wants us to go somewhere, he doesn't say it's going to be all comfortable. And God is calling all of you to go somewhere. And what I have seen upon the, uh, about the people here is that they are people of destiny. They are people who know where they're going. For those of you who know Bethel, I'm actually a destiny kid. I belong to a class four of the Destiny Kids. And we all know where we're going. And I know I'm here because God has sent me here. And so there I was doing work as a clergyman in London. I was in Clapham. Anybody know where Clapham is? Well, one person knows. Uh, William Wilberforce came from there. Heard of William Wilberforce? Yeah, so that was where I was. And then one day my bishop said to me, I want to send you to Coventry. And sending somebody to Coventry in England means you're not going to talk to them you're going to ignore them. But Coventry Cathedral was the international center of reconciliation. And it was the main center of ministry around the world for making peace. So God sent me there. And when I was there one day, really enjoying it, mainly working in Israel and the West Bank, God said to me, go to Iraq. This was in the bad days, in the Saddam days. So I tried every means to get to Iraq. I went through the diplomatic ways. The British government said, whatever you do, you're not allowed to go there. It's far too dangerous. You won't go. But God said, you will. And everything I tried didn't work. Do you know what? The very last thing I did, the very last thing, 
I brought my team together to pray about it. I didn't pray first. I prayed at the end. And we prayed. And the next day, I got a fax from Tarek Aziz, the deputy of Saddam, and said, come to my office to see me next Thursday. So I went, as you do. And it was wonderful. I arrived in Iraq, and I knew I was home. I knew where I was meant to be. Being nurtured and groomed in Judaic theology and rabbinics, I was the only non-Jew to go to an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic yeshiva. The Hasidim were the big guys with the big furry hats and the long beards and the curly pears at the side. And from Israel to Iraq is not really known. But I went. And I got there. And there was one Anglican church. It was built in 19 or 1836. And because the British and the Americans have been dropping bombs on Iraq in Desert Storm, they'd all been kicked out. So I went into my church. No life, just one living pigeon and a few dead pigeons. And I went into this dirty old building and the Lord said to me the words of Haggai 2.9 the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former says the Lord of hosts and in this place I will give peace so there I was spending my time going between Israel and Baghdad, Jerusalem and Baghdad. And the church was still dead. There was nobody there. And then in 2003, there was a little war. You, who speak funny English, <laughs> and me, in Britain, we joined together and had a little war. And there I was in Baghdad, and suddenly it came to life. And the dead church with nobody in it, suddenly all these people turned up. They were all the coalition, the Brits and the Americans, and my first service there was full of spooks. I had the director of the CIA, the director of the FBI, the head of MI5, all the intelligence agencies. They were all there. I don't know what they were doing. 
but they thought this was church. But then Baghdad got too dangerous to go out to church, so they were all banned from leaving the green zone and going out to church. But it was all right. They gave me a new church. And it used to be Saddam Hussein's palace. But he didn't need it anymore. And so his throne room became my chapel. And he had a really good solid gold throne. And he didn't need it anymore. So it became my pulpit. Can you believe, Pastor Greg, having a solid gold pulpit? It beat having a trendy wheelchair. I had MS then, but I could still walk and kind of run. But I had a super, super throne. It was really, really, really good. And we had a really, really glorious church. And it was quite amazing, actually, because, you know, I'm sorry to admit this, but in the early days, when you lot were planning to come and visit us lot, I was very involved in all the plans and we would be sitting at the office of White House liaison at the Pentagon. And I never forget one day, there we were, you know, planning as you do in a day's work, and suddenly gold dropped everywhere. And there I was with Rumsfeld and Wolfowitz and the Pentagon leaders and the gold and glory of God was coming. And the strange thing was that all of these people were actually Anglicans. I thought, how God, how? <laughs> so I was in favor of this war originally Looking back, I see it was a major disaster, and it didn't work out right at all. But it worked out right for the kingdom of God, for the establishment of his heavenly kingdom. That was why I was there, for the gold, for the throne for the glory coming. Can you believe that? All those supernatural things which happened. So I had my solid gold pulpit. I had my palace chapel. There were a few other things I needed. I needed a baptistry. But it was quite good because Saddam didn't need his swimming pool anymore. So I got his swimming pool. 
I never forget the first Baptist, baptismal service. It was on Easter Day 204. And we were all there singing and praising God. And in those days, before I was a kind of a Bethelite, I was a very much a Wheaton boy. And all of our army commanders were all from Wheaton, apart from the general who came to be baptized. And that was General Kim. He was from Sudan. Anybody from Sudan here? Well, we had General Kim, but he brought his assistant, Brigadier Kim, and he got baptized as well. And Brigadier Kim brought Colonel Kim, and Colonel Kim brought Captain Kim, so we had a Kim, 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 Kim. <laughs> and it was wonderful. And we were baptizing these people and knowing the glory of God. And then we got our church opened, the one which was dead. It came to life. And the first week we had 50 Iraqis, second week 100 Iraqis, third week 150 Iraqis. And I thought this is quite good, yeah. growth of 100 a week. Yeah. And we grew to about 6,500. That wasn't bad considering we were in the midst of a serious Islamic country. But that's God's glory. It's the unexpected. What you never thought was possible becomes possible. And so I was working in the embassy chapel and now in my... English church and in my chapel in the embassy the worship was quite good it was getting better and better and a new British command general arrived now, his name was General Roddy Porter. Now, I thought this is rather good because I knew his mother. So I said to General Porter when he arrived, I said, General Porter, you might be a general, but you better be careful because I know your mother. <laughs> and he said to me, Canon White, you might be a canon, but I grew up with your wife. I was in her Sunday school class, so he won. <laughs> and this general, believe it or not, General Roddy Porter, with his three stars, 
became my worship leader. A worship leader in the palace. Isn't that amazing? How God turns around the impossible to make it the possible. How God reverses which was what was terrible to make it supernatural. And the worship was so amazing. And I can never forget how God spoke to us through the worship that we shared. And I never forget one day there was a song which I'd never heard of. I'm a little bit out of sync. Now, I, I'm really a golden oldie. I don't know the new choruses. I'm still singing, Oh, happy day, oh, happy day. And Jesus loves me, this I know. And all that kind of thing. And they were singing a song, and I didn't know it because it was even older than my songs. Do any of you know it? No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. (laughs) But... That night, as we were singing No Never Alone, the mortar bombs were arriving. The rockets were landing in the palace. And all we could sing was No Never Alone. No Never Alone. He promises never to leave us. Never to leave us alone. And that was the heart of our message and our ministry and of our knowledge that he will never leave us alone. That he is always with us. And he is here with you now. And I I came into this place and I felt God saying to me very clearly, that this is his place. This is where his presence is. But do you know what he said to me especially? He said, I'm especially working with the young people, those who are under 20, because you are being prepared for what is to come. This place is not just about now. This is a church of the future. This is a church of for what is to come. What I have witnessed here in California is the glory that is to come. 
I have seen the glory. What I witnessed up that terrible mountain with your refuge of hope, Jill, it is a place of the future. It is a place where you are rescuing those who have been enslaved, those who have been deprived, those who have been set aside, and you're rescuing them for the future, for the glory that is to come. I have a school in Jordan. And my school is made up all of Iraqi refugee Christian children. Those who've had to flee for their lives. Those who were running from ISIS. And when ISIS came in, it identified all the Christian homes in the whole of Iraq by putting the Arabic letter Nun painted on their wall. And Nun is the Arabic letter for N. And this was the evil Isis saying, these people are Nazarenes. They follow Jesus of Nazareth. So that sign, Nun, was a sign which brought fear to everybody. It was even the sign that people used to talk about the persecuted church and saying, we, as those in the Western safe society, must not forget the persecuted. Last year, no, earlier this year, at the graduation of our school, I went to school, and to my total shock and surprise, all the children had a bat of the nun sign. And I said, why have you all got that? They said, because Yeshua, Jesus, has given us a victory. They tried to destroy us. And now we've graduated from Christian school. Lord, what we have achieved, that which everybody thought was impossible has now become possible. And that sign which said, we are destroyed, 
We are finished. Now says we are alive. We are the hope. So much of what was negative became positive. Women were so oppressed in our culture. But when we had our church of six and a half thousand, we were running a clinic, we were running a major food relief program, we fed, we watered, we healed, we worshipped. And the people organizing and leading this work were not the men, it was the women. And I learned then that if you want a job done properly, you get women to do it. (laughs) You know, from my cultural background, that didn't even really go. But wow, seriously it went. And to this day, The women of Baghdad's churches are the power behind the throne. They're not even on the throne. The throne has disappeared. I don't even know where it's gone now. But the glory of God is still shining. And our school is still worshipping and still singing. Our children, three times a day, they meet in the courtyard and sing in Aramaic prayer. And God is so real to them. These little children, you might say, oh, they're just going through the rituals of prayers. No, they're not. I wanted to really try and get the children to see prayer more than just singing the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic. So I said to the children one day, I said, I want you to all ask God for something. Every one of you needs to ask God, what do you want God to give you? God is kind. He wants you to have something nice. And one little boy called Yosef, all of our children are called Yosef or Mariam, or Yosef or Mimi, or Joseph or Mumu. It's all Mary and Joseph. <laughs> so Joseph, Yosef said to me, I said, what would you really like God to give you? He said, I would like a Burger King. I said, a Burger King? He said, we see all these signs for Burger King, but none of us have ever been able to have a Burger King. Oh God, give me a Burger King. And I prayed for him and I put my arm around him and I said, I promise you, 
God will give you a Burger King. I wasn't sure how. The next day, we had some American missionaries turn up. And they decided they were taking us all on a picnic. And they did. And everybody got a Burger King. <laughs> so it wasn't one Burger King. It was Burger Kings for the whole school. So I know my Burger King story might seem rather small and strange. But it's a reality. Now, if God can give Yusuf a Burger King, he can give you something even better. And I don't just mean an eye player. I mean something really, really great. And all the time, God is giving us what is really, really great. They are proud to wear the nun sign. What is leading the worship? All these great things have happened. Things which were so negative have been turned around. One of the really strange things, it's very strange for a clergyman, an Anglican or any clergyman, even for you, it would be strange for you too as well. I had a brothel. Yeah, they, they didn't... Quasi and Saddam's sons had a brothel in little Venice near the palace. And they didn't need it anymore, so they gave it to me. And we turned it into a house of prayer. And so our house of prayer in Little Venice, as it was called, actually used to eat Quasi and Ode's brothel. And it was very interesting when it became a worship house. And it was very comfortable. And there were things in it which I wouldn't have really chosen to have in a house of prayer. <laughs> you know, the big fluffy pillows and things. But God was there. The Lord was there. As we say at the end of every prayer, Allahumma ana. The Lord is here. His Spirit is with us. The Lord was there. His Spirit was with us. So all sorts of things would change. Even another story I have is this pen. I've got no books to sign because I've sold out of them all. But this pen is very good at signing books. But it's not famous for signing books. It's famous for one day, Wafa al the National Security Advisor, 
King Tamina said, Abuna Andrew, we want to borrow your pen. The Prime Minister wants it. I said, why does the Prime Minister want my pen? He took my pen. That night on television, he was using my pen to sign Saddam Hussein's death sentence. That is divine reversal. The Lord can use something which was used for glory and he can bring down the enemy. And he has brought down the enemy. And in all of our lives, he has brought out down the enemy so that the victory might be seen. Now, the psalmist says, he changes the wilderness into a wall of water and a dry land into a spring of water. And that's what God is saying to all of you here. You may have been in a desolate place, but I am giving you a place of life. I am restoring a dry place to make it a living place full of life. This is no ordinary church. This is no ordinary place of worship. I'm sure that on this supernatural journey this month, God has caused me to finish here. This place is the beginning. This place is where his glory is springing forth from. What's this church called? Connect. Conversion. All these modern churches now called Connect, Conversion, the failure. You know, it's so confusing. But one thing we know is a glory place. This is a true glory well. It's a real place of the glory of God. This is a place of radical, dramatic reversal. I want to leave you a very clear message that by the power of the Holy Spirit we are all called not to take care but to take risks. My mentor in life 
used to say to me when I left him, he said, don't take care, take risks. And in the power of Jesus, we take risks. I just am so full of awareness of the glory of God and the power which he reveals to us. And I know that there are people here today that God wants to heal and restore. And the Lord is saying to you, take divine risks. Go out and receive that blessing. And God is especially saying to the young people, you are the future. You are the future of my church, of my kingdom. You are the future of what I'm doing in the Bay Area. This Bay Area isn't just any old place in California. This is a place of glory. And this area around here is indeed a supernatural place. I say thank you, Lord, for your glory here. Everybody. God wants to speak to everybody here this morning. Because he has for you part of his divine journey plan. Come, Lord, show us your journey. Show us where you're calling us. Thank you, Jesus. You are here with us. Receive the glory of the Lord. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you're scared because you know God has called you to do something big and you don't know what that is. Who would fall into that category? Right upon all of you. I release God's glory, God's healing, God's anointing. And if you've put your hand up now and you've said that you're scared of what God is asking you to do, I want to anoint you afterwards. Come up to me wherever I am. Where will I be? Down here and I will anoint you because the anointing of God is upon all of us but specifically he's calling some to a unique ministry and that unique ministry 
is not for 20 or 30 years time. It begins today. It begins now. Now is the accepted time. I think it would be good if we, in closing, could just sing in tongues for a moment. Thank you again for listening. For more messages like this, please subscribe to our channel. God bless.